Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. Thank you, Sarah. Please take your Bibles, and this is again the the center of our worship is focused on understanding the Word of God that leads us to the heart of God, and the focus of our year will, of course, be around this textbook right here. hope you bring it always with you to church and, and enjoy it personally in your study. Philippians chapter 1, I've kind of been praying about a good theme for the year, and especially as we start the year, I've really uh, decided to focus on compassion, reaching higher by stooping lower, if you prefer, called to care. That's what I believe will help us this year to be a matter of focus for us as a church that we could not only love the lost and have a real heart for them, but just for one another, that we would as a church express the joy of the Lord by compassion. The the believers were known in the first century uh, by their love. They were known as Christians because of their love. Every church has a reputation. And I wonder if our, our church has a reputation for compassion. Certainly we can all work on that. I know this preacher could, and that's the goal of my own heart, to be more compassionate. Father, we do pray that you would direct our thoughts. Thank you that you are compassion incarnate, that you, uh, you exemplified by your life the epitome of love for others. Lord, I pray that that would be in evidence in our church, in our hearts, personally, and Lord, I pray you'll teach us about this subject even this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. In your text this morning, we could begin reading, really, the familiar portion of Scripture. We'll get to it in a minute, but Philippians chapter 2, and let's read the first 11 verses of that chapter. If, therefore, if there be, therefore, any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any bowels or heart, of mercy, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love. One accord, one mind, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. I won't have you turn to your neighbor and say, I think more highly of you than myself, but that's uh, what Paul is going for here. Look not every man on his own things, But every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. And then we get this, perhaps one of these famous verses about the self-emptying of Christ, the kenosis passage where Christ came and condescended to us and took upon him the form of a servant made in the likeness of man. Imagine the move from that neighborhood in heaven to ours. It took a fair amount of compassion and love to make that journey. How far have you reached? How low have you stooped in order to express the love of Christ to anyone lately? We love people to serve us, don't we? Let this mind be in you, verse 5, which was also in Christ. Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Why? Because he was God. But he made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant, made in the likeness of men, and being found in fashion as a man, verse 8, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, 
even the death of the cross. He was obedient to his Father. Wherefore God hath, don't forget this, highly exalted him, given him a name which is above every name, that in the name of Jesus every knee should bow, things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Whether or not you're saved this morning, there's a day coming, the Bible says, mark it down, where you're going to confess on bended knee that God is Lord, that Christ is Lord. It will either be a coerced confession or one from your heart, but one day you will confess that. The Philippians had a special place in Paul's heart. In fact, if you've read the book of Philippians, you know that the theme of Philippians is joy. 16 times the, the, the idea of joy is used in the book of Philippians. And, and yet this, this church had a great place in Paul's heart. He had only been there to start the church for about three months. He went there and started this first church in Europe, really, Macedonia. It's a first venture into Europe. And this, uh, this little church was endeared to his heart. Remember the story there? He got there and there was all kinds of trouble. There weren't many he was looking for some, perhaps the man in the vision, come over to Macedonia and help us. But when he got there, there were no male believers that he could find. There was a group of ladies worshiping by the river. And after months of struggle and turmoil, some time in jail, remember that? Uh, Paul and Silas in jail, God was able to birth a church there. And oh, how he loved these folks. It is written in the way he speaks. This book just drips with emotion. I'm not... I don't know where you are in your personality. Some of you are more prophet, some of you more tender, loving, and all that. I would not be towards the side that's just really compassionate by nature, like Timothy. By his own natural state, Timothy was a caregiver. Some of you are. I perhaps not that way, but spiritually we're all to grow. But listen to the verse there. Chapter 1, if you'll back up. Verse 3, I thank God upon every remembrance of you. <laughs> Always. Now by this time, Paul uh, had been there a time or two, and he's remembering as a preacher, I think, put myself in his shoes or sandals. Always in every prayer of mine, making requests with joy. I'm thankful for every remembrance. Been here ten and a half years. And, I, and I'm thankful for the time God has given us here. But not every day has been roses. That might be a shock to you. But Paul, now after some time, and he's in jail, he's writing from the Roman jail, the Praetorian Guard, and he's writing, he says, as, and his, he's recalling his time with the Philippians, he says, time has mitigated all this, or has kind of moderated all this, and I, as I think back at the good times, the pleasant times, the tough times, the days, I, or the night I spent in jail, the times they were... I was maligned and called everything, every name in the book, so to speak. And the time my own identity as a Jew was, was uh, in question and suspected and the, the good days and the bad days, so to speak. I think of it all as a gift from God and I think in, and my heart is just full of thanks for every remembrance of you. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. As Robin and I think about ten and a half years here, we're so grateful. We're so grateful. Even the good times, the not so pleasant times, all of it is, is, just deepens our love for you. And deepens and strengthens our walk together with you.
as we struggle through things and, and work through things and see God do great things and uh, the praises and the struggles and the prayer all work together for good and, and we're just deepened and strengthened just like Paul. We're so thankful for every remembrance of you. Even as it's fitting, verse 7, I'm confident that God will do a great work in you until the day of Jesus Christ. And it's fitting for me to think this of you because I have you where? In my, no, he says, I have you in my heart in as much as both in my bonds, the defense, and the confirmation of the gospel, you are partakers of my grace. You're on this journey with us. Church is not a social club where we talk about whatever that's happening in, in politics. It's, it's about a band of believers on their way to glory, suffering together the same afflictions, and we're here to encourage one another, love one another on the journey. We can't do this without one another's help, encouragement, comfort. That's why God created the church. And then verse 8, I like this, it drips with emotion, for God is my record, how greatly I long after you all, now this is a word that has changed over the years, at least in its, <laughs> with all the bowels of Jesus Christ, what, what is Paul saying? This is where you feel emotion, right here, in your stomach, the pit of your stomach, the word comes from the Greek word for spleen, we translate that now in our vernacular for heart. I, I've got you longing for you. I'm in jail, but I want to be where you are, with you. And I, and I long for you. For some of you, church is just a discipline of duty. I've, I've got to go and mark it off my list so, so we can get to the national championship tomorrow. I know some of you are thinking that. But for Paul, church Christ was his life. He longed. He had been in jail for four years. It wasn't a pleasant place. and There were tough times there. But as he looked at the full scope of his time in Philippi, verse 5, he says, From the first day till now, I'm thankful for every great memory that I have. Happiness. Did you know this? Happiness has to do with happenings. You think of a a nice cool breeze on a hot day or, or whatever, a nice drive through Atlanta where you never hit any traffic, you get to the parking spot that you wanted and it's open, and when does that happen, right? Happiness is about happenings, but this book is filled with joy while Paul is suffering. And notice, please, Paul's release on personal rights and his grasp on things that really bring joy. Verse 7 I have you in my heart, and because of the defense and confirmation, you've come to Christ because of all these difficulties, and you are fellowshippers, partakers of my grace and the gospel. Though I'm in jail, you're going on for Christ. You have become followers. You are my treasure, my hope, my joy. In verse 12 of chapter 1, Paul is saying, I want you to understand that the things that have happened to me, have fallen out unto the furtherance of the gospel. Why do bad things happen to good people? There's the answer, right? That the gospel would be advanced through the difficulties in my life. And Paul is rejoicing in jail. And imagine, he, he's not looking from the top deck of the Royal Caribbean, a cruise line, and enjoying the... He's, he's locked to perhaps two... Prison guards, he's in the Praetorian Palace, the prison there, which is probably a little better prison than where he had been in Philippi. 
but it's still prison. He's chained. Some of you feel that way this morning. I'm chained to something or someone, some circumstance or person, prickly personality. I want to be around. Paul said, I'm just rejoicing. Can you imagine? There's a prisoner smiling, and the guards wonder, what's up with this guy? I... He says, I know that everything in my life has fallen out to the furtherance, has happened to me because the gospel's being advanced. And in that I rejoice. Palace guards, he says, are being, are being able to hear the gospel, and that's a good thing. Chapter 1, verse 18, some are uh, preaching, of course, he, he's sad about this, some are preaching because of the wrong motive, but at least Christ is being preached. And I rejoice in that. You see, there's a happy, there's a joy in his Paul's uh, terminology as we get into the book of Philippians. And then finally, we get to chapter 2 and verse 17. And this is a shocker. You think about compassion in the sense of what does it mean to me personally? Look at chapter 2, and I think it's verse 17. Here's what he says, chapter 2. You have to turn a page maybe to get to this. He says this, and if I be offered, I'm rejoicing that that I have not run in vain, I've taken the word for, I've not labored in vain, and if I be offered on the sacrifice and service of what? Of your faith, of your advancement, of your growth, and your maturity, I joy and rejoice. If this pain, and picture him in jail, if this pain and the life of Long journey that I've had has been full of pain and suffering. The Lord told him that when he got saved. If, if all this is, is working out for your spiritual advancement, I'm happy. I'm thankful. I'm rejoicing. You know, perhaps the reason some of you are not very, quote-unquote, happy today or joyful today, those are two different things, because you're looking for joy in the wrong place. You're thinking it's something that ought to come to you. A circumstance ought to change in your life so that you could be happy or joyful. Paul is saying all these, all these bad, quote, bad things, these troublesome, these trials have come in order that you're advanced spiritually and in that, even if they put me on the altar for your advancement, I'm thankful. I'm joyful. We have only a few minutes before sunset to accomplish great things for God and all of eternity to enjoy them. So don't be a, don't be a, 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 a pawn that says, I want every tributary to come my way so that I can be full and happy and satisfied. That'll never happen. It is only when you turn that around and say, I want to be a, I want to be a tributary of, of grace to others. Then all of a sudden, God will turn the light on in your heart. You will see Real joy begin to flood. Yea, and if I be sacrificed on your altar, I am joyful and I rejoice with you. Honestly, can you say that? I'm willing to be put to death. All my dreams, my expectations, my rights, my desires, I'm going to lay them all upon the altar of your advancement so that I could be truly joyful in Christ. We all want things. We do. Brian reminded us in Sunday school this morning that we we know ourselves. We want what we want. And life can be, even in our in our goals for the new year, it can be about us. I want to look better, look thinner, get richer, be happier. And you see all the tributaries coming in. 
And Paul says, no, no, compassion starts with that idea that I, I really want to. I want to be a service to others. My heart has been drawn towards this theme this year, compassion. Paul was to someone who, whose life compass was dictated by the spiritual needs of others. Let me see if I can get this to work, and we'll see if we can advance this slide. Would you advance it for me, please? There, it might, might be hard to read. Compassion, I'm going to turn around because it's closer to my old eyes. Compassion, biblical compassion may involve feelings and emotions. We saw that in, verse, in chapter 1. But it starts with a high regard for the glory of God in Christ who was moved to leave his highest state for our lowest state that we might spend eternity with him in the eternal state. Uh, you know, compassion isn't just about um, feeling with somebody or feeling for somebody. It is about the ultimate goal that God was, he left his neighborhood, made himself of no reputation in order that he might be exalted in due time. And so Paul was excited, joyful about this process, painful process, compassion for others, painful. But God had enlightened Paul to realize that there is an eternal reward as we stoop low to help others. One day God will be exalted through this, and he will be magnified through this. And what joy to the heart that brings. Compassion. So let's begin with definition. By reaching low, he was set on high, and God designs for us to be with him there in final glory. The end of biblical compassion is God reconciling all things to himself. I love that. Compassion is a high regard <clears throat> for the mind of Christ who is moved by great love to rescue us in our low estate. Reaching higher this year means stooping lower. Getting our hands dirty for God. I think Christ, of course, is the purest definition of compassion, the incarnation, and that we just, the season we just came through, Christ loving us. The essence of true love is Christ. Mission. Why did he descend so that he might ascend? And he asked for us to stoop low so that others might be one day a part of that eternal and glorious uh, family that, that surrounds the throne. Go ahead and move the slide up one more. The Christian story, says C.S. Lewis, the first point this morning is the motive in our present compassion is to, is to others, our compassion to others is a future exaltation of Christ. Here's what C.S. Lewis says about this descending so that Christ may ascend. The Christian story, C.S. Lewis points out, is, the, is one in which Christ descends to reascend. He didn't just show up in human form to feel what we feel and improve our human condition. No, the picture is of a strong man leaving paradise, leaving glory of heaven, stooping lower and lower to get himself under a great burden, then almost disappearing under the load, he incredibly straightens his back and marches off with a whole mass, swaying on his shoulders, once ruined, now redeemed. That's what Philippians 2 is about. Christ descended uh, became a man just like us, obedient to the death, even the death of the cross, and one day... Of course, after the resurrection, he stood. <laughs> and one day, he will redeem, reset all of 
humanity and those who are redeemed will stand with Him forever in the glorified state. That's the story. That's why we are compassionate on others in order to see them in that wonderful choir one day in glory singing hallelujah to the Lamb. So the motive in our present compassion is this idea of standing. Why do I love you? Why do I reach low? Why do I humble myself? It's not so that I would be exalted personally. It's that God would be finally and fully and ultimately exalted in that great moment when we stand before Him. Glory to the Lamb. And we sing the truth at verse 10 of chapter 2. That at the name of Jesus, this is why God made the journey. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of things in heaven and earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So it isn't about altruism. It's not about do-goodism. It's not compassion. I wish we were all more compassionate. I, I wish I was, but it's not just about feeling for others. That's good. It's about the ultimate plan of God that will lead us to a place where in our service to others, they understand who God is, the gospel of grace, and they're ushered then in the presence of the eternal state with the redeemed for all. That's why God calls us to reach low. So when God put Paul in prison in Philippi, it was not just so he could get a taste of what inmates feel or the food they eat. And God puts you through suffering. It's not just so you get a taste of pain so that you can identify with others. No, there's an ultimate plan. And that plan involves you understanding the great claim of Christ upon His redeemed that He will one day uh, gather them together and be magnified for all of eternity. And so as we stoop down, it's not just about humiliating ourselves and humbling ourselves and being a doormat. No, it's not that Mother Teresa idea. It is about reaching others for the glory and magnification of God so that one day we'll be part of this grand celebration in heaven. Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. He made himself low so that he might one day be exalted. Let's move the slide forward just one more. The second idea is a mindset that drives our compassion is the example, the example of Christ. So we uh, were thankful for the fact that God made the journey, and His journey was for His final exaltation, but we see an example here. Chapter 2, if you'll notice there, your Bible's in verse 1, if there therefore, if there be therefore any consolation in Christ. What does that mean? If there be therefore any consolation, the mindset that fosters our compassion is the example of Christ. I've already mentioned he was compassion incarnate. That means he was full compassion on full display. <clears throat> I had to think about that, <clears throat> the mystery of the incarnation, how he moved from the streets, the golden streets of glory, to the dusty streets of Nazareth, was born, of course, Bethlehem in a manger. I mean, you think about God in a manger in that journey so low. And here is the example. If and it really could be translated, and ought to be, since, 
There is consolation in Christ. What is consolation? What does that mean? That word simply means encouragement. Since there is encouragement in Christ, the word in the Greek is paraklesis. Paraklesis. That simply means, if you heard paraklete, the one who what? The one who comes alongside of you. I was watching one of our cross-country meets a year or two ago, and there was a dad that was off the charts paraclesis. Uh, maybe you're that kind of a dad. A two-mile race or whatever run, it's not really <laughs> a cross-country race, and it's different lengths, but it's long. And the dad, instead of standing one place where the daughter would come through a couple times, decided he was going to run <laughs> the whole two miles, it seemed like, beside her. And you should have heard him, this paraclete. I mean, it was, come on. I mean, she, you know, tongue hanging out, just, you know, barely, you know, you know how cross, it's ugly. Cross, nobody, it ought to be outlawed. Cross country is a mean torture. But uh, here she was running and was getting into the second mile and, and she's just barely staring. He's just, come on, honey, you can do this. Honey, you couple, just, just around the finish line, is just around the, and he was just leaning, just, just running right beside her. Maybe you're that kind of a dad. I got a picture here, if you'll just advance it one slide, of, of that kind of idea. It's, it's, honey, you can do this. Come on. Let's go. It's just a few more steps. Let's go. You can do that. You could hear him all over the campus, hollering, encouraging. The Holy Spirit is not, desi the design of the Holy Spirit his function is not to come. He does convict us, but he doesn't come along. And his main purpose isn't just to slap us back on track. He does bring conviction, no doubt about it. But he is called to come alongside. If you're going to be a compassionate person by your nature in Christ, spiritually, you are going to be an encourager. Come on, you can do this. To those who are sick in our church, maybe listening even this morning, the Holy Spirit's ministry to you is one, don't give up. Don't quit. Don't get discouraged. The finish line is right there. And in the church, we go through things, right? We, we go through difficulties. We, we backslide sometimes, right? And yet, the ministry of someone with compassion is, hey, Let's go forward. Let's, let's move forward. Let's deal with sin, but let's move forward. You can do this by the grace of God. Don't be weary in well-doing. Don't faint. Don't be weary. Let's go. And so we see that in Christ, the example, if there is any encouragement in Christ, and there is. What about comfort of love? The Greek there is a little bit different. Paramuthion, to speak closely, to speak intimately, words that will help, words of sincere affection, to speak tenderly, to speak closely. And you see the picture of Christ who came down from heaven where he could have just sent by amplification mode through the heavens and lightning and thunderings. He could have just talked to us that way, but he came down and he spoke tenderly to us, face to face. 
You see him? Do you see him walking our streets? God from heaven. There he is. That man, Jesus Christ, came from heaven. He's walking down my street. He's picking up my children. He's holding them. He's volunteering to work in the nursery. Let the little children come, for such is the kingdom of heaven. Peter, James, and John said, come on, we've got a schedule to keep. See the God of heaven holding your child, speaking words tenderly, paramuthion, words that you can understand face to face. God incarnate, God of a compassion came the God of love came to us and we saw him. John said, we've handled him. We've touched him. We've seen him. This God. Could you move the slide forward, please? He's the God of compassion, a mindset, an attitude of encouragement, of comfort, of fellowship in the spirit. You see it again in verse 1 of chapter 2. If any fellowship, koinonia is the Greek. There's a lovely benediction in 2 Corinthians 13, 14. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Ghost or Holy Spirit be with you all. Communion is that fellowship that comes because of our relationship in Christ. And we know that in the, book, in, in the, in the church at Philippi, there were Greeks and there were <clears throat> Jews and there were Rich and there were poor and there were different racial ethnicities all in this one church. There were men and there were women, there were boys and girls. And yet in that melting pot, there was this fellowship of the Spirit. None of us, it's almost like there's a, this common ground at the foot of the cross. None of, none of us are any better than anybody else. And the church is that melting pot, right? Where we accept and we receive and we Love on those folks that maybe don't look like us or talk just like us or look just like us or have the same social status as we do. And yet that's the place where we find the love of Christ expressed in Koinonia fellowship. Because one day you don't get, you know, there's not preferred parking in heaven. Did you know that? You don't. You don't get that. And in the church there ought to be this esteem for one another that's equal. And so we see the, <clears throat> the word is captured, of course, in koinonia, the fellowship of the Spirit. And then that word that I've mentioned earlier, any bowels and mercies, this truly is the mind of compassion that involves tender affection, splancha, the splanchna. That means that spleen, <laughs> chapter 2, verse 1, chapter 1, verse 8, uh, the bowels or the spleen, I love you with all of my heart, we say today. And that's the understanding of my total soul is committed to loving you. It sounds better, doesn't it, than saying I love you with all my intestines. That's just a better sound, and I'm glad we've changed that a bit. I have you in my heart, Paul says in chapter 1, verse 7. Jay Kessler was preaching a youth conference many years ago in Indiana. I've shared this story uh, years ago, but... It's just, it tells you what compassion, as it's explained or expressed or exemplified in Christ, chapter 2, verse 1, can do to a church. 
I think everybody knows, uh, for the most part, that Bible Baptist Church has the doctrine that it needs to have. I think they know that. There's a legacy of faithfulness to preaching this Word. We've centralized the preaching of the Word. In Sunday school, in all of our programs, we are uh, bibliocentric. But I wonder if we don't have a weakness as a church in the area, I'm preaching at myself now, of compassion. Jay Kester preaching a youth rally, and uh, he used to be the president there in Upland, um, Indiana, of Taylor University, and a fine Christian man, and he loved teens, and preaching a youth rally, and he noticed that a girl came forward, tears in her eyes, she sat at the invitation right on the front row, and he looked down, and he could tell she was trying to kind of hide her scars on her wrist, that she had attempted at least to take her life, and <clears throat> so None of the other counselors wanted to deal with her, uh, thinking that she was too hard of a case to deal with, so he himself uh, went down beside her and sat on the front pew with her. As the meeting was dismissed, he looked at the young girl and <clears throat> says, why don't you tell me your story? And she says, well, I'm kind of here at this conference as a last resort. Um, I, I want to take my life. He said, I could see that. Uh, by your wrist. Tell me about that. He says, well, she said, well, I, I grew up in a home where my dad physically and sexually abused me for years. And she said, I'm just here because it's kind of my last hope. Somebody said I ought to try the, the Christian thing and get some help here. So I was invited and I came. Your preaching has Help me see that there may be hope. And then she asked a strange question to Mr. Kester. She said, she pointed at a youth pastor that was there, and she said, now, who is that man? And he said, well, I know him. He's a youth pastor of such and such a church. He's got his youth group here and his wife. She said, oh, I've noticed his wife is here too. And she said, I've, I've noticed that when we're in line for food, he sometimes comes right up behind her and hugs her. And he even kissed her right in church. He says, is that okay? And Jay Kester said, I, well, I think it is. And she asked him, do you think he is a Christian? And Jay said, I think so. Well, she said, I saw him in the parking lot. And he opened the car door for his wife. You only do that if you have a new wife or a new car. No. She, she said he opened the car door for his wife. And she said, I've never seen a man do that. My daddy never does that. And she said, uh, so you think he's a Christian? And she, he said, yes, I believe. And she says, you know what I think? She looked right at Jay Kessler. All men must not be like my daddy, huh? And if he's a Christian, if that man over there pointing at the youth path is a Christian, Jay, Mr. Kester, I want to be a Christian. How do they know your doctrine? How do they know? How do we fill empty pews at a church? Well, pastor, if you just preach shorter, 
if, if, if we just change this or that, if we would just, they'll know we're Christians by our love. And uh, here we see a picture of Christ, right? Let me give you a little test as we close this morning. The third point is simply the mercy we show in compassion is displayed by our attention to others. The mercy we show in compassion is displayed by our attention to others. Compassion is never self-love. The text does tell us, look, look not, excuse me, verse 3 of chapter 2, nothing be done through strife or vain, lowliest of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things only, <clears throat> but every man, there's the word, also on the things of others. We are to be concerned not only to esteem others more highly than ourselves, to think more highly of others than ourselves, but to hold no thoughts about ourselves over those of others. In fact, again, the Greek here is oiktirmos, and it simply is this idea of mercy. One of the names of God is this, Rav Ased. That simply means God is a God who is plenteous in mercy. question I started with, we end with. Are you a merciful person? If you are, you are like God. And what is mercy? How does mercy define it? It's got to be a focus, not only on the future exaltation and magnification of Christ at the throne in glory, that's why we, but it has to do with others. And I, I've got to give you a kind of a compassion test. In the morning when you wake up, what are your first thoughts about? It's about, i got to get out of bed so I can go where I'm going and do what I need to do and check off the list so that I can accomplish stuff. And my stuff is important, bless God. i got to get everything done in a certain time so that my boss will be happy, whatever. And it usually is a self-focus. It's the same word used in Romans 12. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Tell me three things that you are most interested in. It's not a hard test, is it? Growing up in Brazil, along the banks of the Amazon, for me it's soccer, and, and maybe I enjoy lots of other things that come with growing up in that environment. Uh, today you would, you know, hunting and fishing. and It's easy for me. If you were to ask me about me, I know me. Look not every man upon the things of self. Me, myself, and I, what a wonderful group we three. We all would agree that we have spent our lives with us, knowing us. But in lowliness of mind, we are to esteem others better than ourselves. Some of my favorite words in hymnology were written by Isaac Watts. See from his head, his hands, his feet. Sorrow and love flow mingled down. Did e'er such love or sorrow meet or thorns compose so rich a crown? Often I am moved to tears just by that lyric when I survey the wondrous cross, the eventual place that that 
journey took the Lord was to the Calvary's cross, and they did it there for me. But do you know something? Picture behind me on the screen. Do you know something? The life of Christ was not just one great supreme act of sacrifice, but it was thousands of smaller demonstrations of mercy. The reason he didn't just come as a man and die on a cross, the sacrifice, the blood sacrifice, the perfect sacrifice, the lamb was slain and returned to heaven is because he wanted us to see mercy. He wanted to live on your street. He wanted to hang out, if I could use that term, with the disciples. He wanted to touch blind eyes. He wanted to see the lame jump. He, he wanted us to see compassion so that we would be like Him. Let this mind be... It would revolutionize our church. If we took the, the doctrine of compassion out of the textbook and embraced it personally. So, a little test. You're to love God with all your hearts. We're working on that. But finish that. You're also to love your neighbor as yourself. So, a little test about compassion. Uh, what's his name? Uh, I think I know a couple of them. What does he want in life? What are you doing to help him with his needs? When's the last time you've offered anything in terms of loving him? How, how far have you walked, remember the journey, from glory to, to our streets? How far have you walked to demonstrate compassion in order that Christ might be magnified one day and that neighbor of yours be a part of that celebration and glory. How far have you walked? I think one of the most endearing pictures in the New Testament, right before the cross, when Christ could have been all wrapped up in self-pity, he took a towel, John 13, didn't he? And he lined up his disciples, beginning with Peter, the dusty old feet, and God incarnate, God of compassion and mercy, who is full, plenteous in mercy, took the dirty old feet of Peter and without a word began to wash them. And I think that is the picture. You say, I, I, I've got so much important things to do. I, tell, I don't tell my wife this, but listen, my list, I mean, I'm doing ministry stuff, honey. You go buy the groceries. You take care of that and pay that bill. And I'm going to do important stuff, go to do church stuff. And the picture that I have as we begin the year, and I want to share this month will be messages in the morning on compassion. The picture that I hold in my hands is, I mean, that my hold in my mind is of the Lord holding the feet of Peter and saying, you know, as I've done, I want you to do to others. How far can you stoop in order to show the compassion of God to others? Do you know your neighbor's name? Do you know their kids? Do you care where they're going to spend eternity? Do you want them to be a part of that celebration, parade, and glory? That's why God put you there. 
Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.